Amen, amen. That's our own Jeff Hatton, who wish I wouldn't have said that. Yeah. I'm grateful, though. I'm grateful for our tech crew that put together cool stuff like that every series. So welcome to Vertical Church on this Sunday morning. Welcome to a brand new series, which God teaches us some new things about what it means to grow up in Christ, to accept the responsibilities of being a mature believer in him. Amen? You know, when I was growing up in the 70s in Oak Cliff, my ticket to freedom and independence at 10 years old was my bike. Yeah. We, me and my friends would hit the streets of Oak Cliff there, Ravinia, Barnett, all around that whole area, around the George Peabody Elementary School. We were, we were on it. We were moving, and we were going throughout the area. I had my little AM, FM transistor radio that I strapped to my bike so we could have some cruising tunes while we went. I'm telling you, that was our way of getting out, being independent, and feeling like a man. When I moved to Red Oak at 15, I ditched the bike. The houses were a lot further apart, and it was dangerous to drive down Westmoreland on your bike. So I couldn't wait then to get a car, and my dad let me use his 1971 Chevrolet pickup that had a camper on the back. And that was my, that was my mode of transportation around the days of, around that time in Red Oak and going to school and back and forth, and that became my ticket to independence. There's something about that feeling of you want to get out and you want to have your own day, your own way. You want to make it on your own. You want to have your own sense of responsibility. You want to get out and do your own thing. It's kind of different today, though. Kids aren't necessarily looking to get out on their bike anymore. And the things that we always used to want to leave home for, now everybody's got them in their homes. You don't have to go down to the local store to play video games. You got that in your house. You can go to a movie theater, but most people have a movie, movie theater in their house. You have access to all kind of entertainment and videos. You don't even have to go to a friend's house anymore. You can FaceTime them from your house. You had all that stuff. Hey, back in the day when I was living here in, in uh, Red Oak, it was long distance to Colo Villa. It was rough. I wasted a lot of my paycheck that I earned at Totalway on phone bills talking to a girl. Oh, man. But today is different. And as a result of those things, along with some other things that are happening culturally today, some things that have changed about passing on life to kids. Back in the day, there were classes in school for home ec. You learned about how to cook, how to sew, how to take care of the basics of life at school. At home, moms and dads were teaching kids how to do some of those basic necessities. Some of that's getting lost in culture today. And as a result of those and a few other things that are happening, young people are waiting later to get married. Young people are waiting later to get full-time jobs, to assume the basic adult responsibilities in life They're hanging out around the home a little bit longer and not assuming those adult-like responsibilities. Not everybody, but a lot of culture is. And another thing that's happening that's odd today is that adulthood kind of has this negative light to it. That being an adult is boring. Being an adult means the end of having dreams. Being an adult 
is no fun. And so when young people today begin to assume some adult-like responsibilities because they have to, there began to be a term used in the mid-2000s for that experience, for assuming responsibilities that you probably should have been assuming already because you had the physical stature to do that. That term is adulting. So when someone, even a young person, is doing the basic necessities of life, if they're paying bills, they're saying, oh, I'm adulting today. I took my car to get it washed. I'm adulting. I prepared my own meal. I'm adulting. Hashtag, that's crazy. That should just be normal stuff we all learn to do. Hello? There shouldn't be a special hashtag for that. There shouldn't be a special prize for that. You shouldn't get a trophy for that. You shouldn't get a pat on the back for that. You should just go on. This is life. Come on, let's get up in it, you know? Let's live this stuff. And so uh, with, with that has come all kinds of crazy memes, of course, on the Internet, you know? I thought I would show just a few of those this morning at, at why and how young people look toward this idea of being an adult. So here's a few of these. So the first one is, you, you know you're a grown-up when you actually pick up the ice cube instead of kicking it under the fridge, Right? <laughs> And by that definition, we're not all adults yet, right? <laughs> I still do that every once in a while. But when Heather's not around. No, no. Here's another one. Being an adult is having the we have food at home talk with yourself over and over again, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, our kids, we had five kids, of course, and we told that to our older kids a whole lot. But when we had only two at home and only one at home, it just seemed like we were going out to eat all the time, all of a sudden. And the the older kids were like, hey, mom and dad, what's the deal? All right? Here's the next one. One thing no one ever talks about when it comes to being an adult is how much time we debate keeping a cardboard box because it's really, you know, a good box. Right? You know, it happens. Amazon sends you something. You ordered it, you know, and you get this box like, hey, this thing's really good, you know. I don't know. I've got a stack of them. I keep in the freezer, you know, above the freezer in my laundry room. You know, you just keep them up there because you never know when you're going to need a good box, right? I'm the only one like that in the whole room. What's the deal? All right, here's another one. I'm mature, but not like mature, mature. Like, I pay my own bills, but I still say righty tidy, lefty loosey to figure stuff out, right? <laughs> it's true. It happens. Adulting. Here's our working definition we're going to use during this series. Adulting is accepting the responsibilities necessary for becoming a mature adult. That's kind of a definition that the world is using today. When they talk about a young person assuming responsibilities, they are adulting. We're taking that term. We're going to redeem it. We're going to use it for our purposes. And we're going to talk about spiritual adulting. Here's our definition we're going to use. Accepting the responsibilities necessary for spiritual growth and maturity in Christ. This is what you and I are called to. The day you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible described that event as being born again. You began new life in Jesus Christ. You in that moment were birthed into something you had not been before. You were birthed into Christ, and Christ was birthed into you. You became a new person with a new spirit within you, a new breath, a new force, 
a new drive. And you were never intended to remain a baby. You were never intended to remain an infant in Christ. You were intended in your growth to grow up, to mature, to go from being a spiritual infant that has to be fed, that has to have its diaper changed, hello, that has to be disciplined, that has to be told what to do, where to go, that has to be carried everywhere. You were to grow up, to be a child, to reach a place of independence and maturity as a young adult and to grow up into adulthood. And there shouldn't be any special prizes for that. Hello? You were never intended to just stay an infant. We begin our series today with a message for today entitled, Grow Up and Get a Life. (laughs) This is what you and I are called to, to a place of spiritual maturity, independence, where you begin to discover in Christ the wonders that await you, where you begin to apply truth to your life, where you get past Sunday being a separate event from the rest of your life, where you get past this thinking that there's a spiritual part of you and then there's the rest of you. No, you have all become spiritual in Christ, every part of you, and he wants to fill, mature, and grow you up in that. And faith calls us to get off the couch. Faith calls us to get to work spiritually my mic bumping here? Yeah, I'm going to trade mics if that's all right. Check, check. I want to be bumping, but I don't want my mic to be bumping. (laughs) We look at one verse today, Hebrews 5, verse 12. One verse that speaks about the power of maturity, the calling to maturity that we have. It's interesting here in this book of Hebrews that is filled with so many treasures and wonders of who Jesus is and what we are called to in him. As the writer gets into chapter 5, he says, I have so much I want to show you. There's so much I want to tell you. There's so much about who Jesus is and there's so much about who you are in him that I want to tell you. But the writer says in chapter 5, but I can't tell you because you are too immature. Ouch. It just stings a little bit, you know? To know that there are things that God wants to show you, that God wants to unfold for you, that God wants to do in your life, and that we may be the reason that we're not experiencing the fullness of those yet because of our immaturity, because we have been staying Infants in Christ. Nobody in this room, I would hope, would say, eh, I don't want any more Jesus stuff. I've learned enough. No, there are wonders and riches, things beyond what you could ask or think, things beyond any height or depth or width or breadth that you can imagine, things that were intended to change your life things that were intended to revolutionize your relationships, how you see people, how you see circumstances, and how you understand the purpose for your life, those all await us in Christ. 
And the writer's going to tell us something here in verse 12. He says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. In other words, there's a time by this time, the writer says, where you should have reached a place of maturity, but you haven't. Something's happened along the way. You're 57 and you're still riding your bike around Oak Cliff. Come on, grow up. Let's break this verse down a little bit here. He says, for though by this time. Interesting. In other words, there's a, there's a sense of progression that ought to happen as we grow. A baby is designed to have a progression. It's not supposed to continue always drinking milk. It's not supposed to always continue drinking or eating mushed up bananas. You should get to the place where you're able to chew on some solid food, where you take in some more nutrients, where you eat some meat, hello, and you grow up. And the writer here says, for though by this time, he says there should have been some progression in your own life. You should have matured on past infancy in Christ. You should have grown on past childlikeness in Christ. You should have grown up. There should be more change happening in you. There should be some transformation happening. You should be leaving behind some selfishness, some pettiness, some insecurities, some, t- some sins that you're still hanging on to for though by this time. He says, secondly, you ought to be teachers. Now, please, do not dismiss whatever happens next because you say, oh, well, that's not my spiritual calling to be a teacher. This verse was not written to just teachers. This verse was not written to just people in ministry. This verse was written to the collective of the church of Jesus Christ, and he says there ought to reach a point in your faith where you mature to the point that you develop a passion and an intentionality about saying, I've got to pass on to someone else what God has done in me. I need to be an influencer. There are lots of influencers out there today on Instagram. And they attempt to influence culture by their posts. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, have been called to be the ultimate influencers. We ought to be the ones who say, I have not been saved for my purpose alone. I've been saved for the glory of God and for the good of someone else to experience Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to live my life to be an influencer of others. I'm going to be a teacher. In fact, it's the demonstration that you're maturing. It's the real evidence that you really are maturing in Christ. You have this passion and desire and interest to pass off what God has done in you. You know, this is really the way faith was intended to move within a church and within a community and within the generations. It was intended to move from life to life. That's why in the New Testament, Paul writes to the young pastor Timothy and he says, the things that I'm teaching you 
I want you to teach these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Men, the indicator that you are mature is not just that you can grow a beard, hold a job, own a house. The real evidence of spiritual maturity in you is that you are being taught by the Holy Spirit and you're beginning the process of teaching someone else. The New Testament also says that the older women ought to be teaching the younger women. This is how it's passed along. We shouldn't be having to turn to daytime TV to try to figure out our emotional health support system. We should be turning to others in the faith who have walked down the road, who never claim to be perfect, but they claim to have some experience in walking with Jesus Christ and say, let me tell you a few things that I've experienced. That ought to be the network of what happens within a church. This is what I pray for to be the network within vertical church. It's happening already here. I pray for more of it to happen. Our women's ministry is growing. Women are gathering together. They're turning to scripture, but they're also turning to one another and saying, help me. I know you've walked down the road a little further than I have. Help me understand how I walk with Christ. Help me understand how I love my husband. Help me understand how I love my kids with my faith. This is how God intended the faith to move through lives, men teaching men, women teaching women, by individuals stepping out and serving and leading, by families working with other families to teach, and by parents assuming the responsibility for teaching and training their children. We have a children's ministry here. I hope you don't confuse the fact that we have a Sunday morning children's ministry with the release that you have as a parent to never have to talk to your children about Christ. I hope, I hope you're not sending your kids to a school and assuming that's their responsibility now. I have my work responsibilities. As parents, we are the ones who have that responsibility from God. If you choose to give someone else time in that process, if you choose to bring in tutors who will help in the process, that's your responsibility. It is on you. When things begin to crater, don't point at the school. When things begin to crater, don't point at the church. When things begin to crater, point to yourself and say, God, you gave me these children. What do you want me to do? On another day, on another time, I will talk about the caution we need to have in who we choose to allow to raise our children. I will not do that today. Just know it's coming one day. <laughs> he says, this, by this time, enough time has passed. He says to these believers, you've walked in Christ enough now. You ought to be teachers. You ought to be assuming the responsibility. Don't think that maturity, stay with me. Maturity is your retirement from responsibility. 
maturity is greater acceptance of the responsibility. You want to be teachers and leaders. Instead, he said to them, you've gotten stuck in your immaturity. You've come to a place where you don't want to grow up. You've gotten lazy. And as a result, you're going to miss out on the riches that should be for you to experience right now. He says, now as a result of that, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Oracles, that's not a word we use in Scripture a whole lot, or use in our day unless you're watching Lord of the Rings or something like that, right? (laughs) Or Star Trek. Um, But that's another subject. The writer says, look, because you've not accepted responsibility, because you've not accepted maturity, you, you need to go back. In fact, you need someone to help you learn the basics again and move forward so that you can understand the basic oracles or word, words of God. The basics of what it means to walk in the faith. The basics of what it means. Because if that's really what you have taken in, if you've really received it, it should ignite passion within you. If what you have heard has produced in you boredom, if what you have heard produces in you some type of legalism and duty-filled obligation that has no life to it, you need to go back again to the beginning. That is not the life that you and I have been given in Jesus Christ. And that's what fires me up. You see, I got freed from that. I walked in duty. I walked in obligation. I walked in performance faith. I walked in legalism. And it just about emotionally and mentally broke me. But the day I discovered and God showed me who he is and what he's done for me to free me, it set me on fire to do something for other people, to see them set free. I'm afraid we live in a generation today where those who are the church, those who are believers, are walking in more duty than they are delight. They're walking in more boredom than they are in sense of passion. They're walking in a sense of spiritual compartmentalism in their life instead of whole life faith set on fire for Jesus Christ. So what I want us to walk through this morning in our message is how to own spiritual adulting. Let's get to this place where we learn the basics again. Let's hear them and let's, let's be set on fire by them. Amen? Amen. You see, I'm really, uh, if you can't tell, I'm kind of fired up about this because the enemy is working overtime today. He has been for some time, but there is, a, there is a spirit in our land today, and I'll be specific with our land. It's worldwide, but it's our land. A spirit today that is causing people to be so obsessed with their wants, their rights, 
that they are stuck in pure immaturity. People who are adults acting like children. Are you with me? People in the church who ought to be adults, mature, instead acting like children. Not just by their squabbles they have sometimes with one another, but by the fact that they want to be spoon-fed mush. They don't want to come to church and hear someone teach the depths of God's word because they say, that's just a little offensive. It hurts my feelings. He was too loud and he's too direct. Sorry. God's called us to boldly declare his word for the church to be the pillar and the ground of truth. Pillar and ground, foundation fixed, immovable, not wishy-washy, not, not flexing with every wind that comes along, not giving in to every tide that rolls through with the culture, but standing firm regardless of what anybody else says. Amen? Amen. Amen. So today, we're going back to the first principles. You want to own spiritual adulting? You want to you be a spiritual adult and excel at it? Here are four things that are going to be necessary some things you're going to need to own. The first is this. Own your sin. Amen. The very basics of Scripture and the basics of the gospel is that God is holy and that he has made a way for life. He has called us to walk in his ways. But we... Not just Adam, the first man, but we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen. That's not just an abstract statement. That's not just a thought. That's not just an idea. It's a practical reality. You and I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen. You were born a sinner. And the only way you could ever know life was to have life breathed into you by Jesus Christ. There's a struggle with owning your sin. <clears throat> because owning your sin means you got to set aside your pride. Owning your sin means you got to be vulnerable. Owning your sin means you got to be humble. And there are some things some spirits that are at war today in our world that the last thing they want is for anybody to own their sin before God. Instead, there are evil spirits today parading the banner of blame. Don't accept responsibility. Blame someone else for what's happening in your life. Don't accept responsibility for your bad attitude and your bad actions and your, your bad habits. Blame someone else. Blame your parents. Blame your spouse. Blame the teachers. Blame that person that hurt you. Blame that person in the other lane. Blame somebody. Put it off on them. Don't accept the responsibility. Because if you ever accept the responsibility, then you stand on the threshold of experiencing the glory of God. 
If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But if you don't ever confess it, you can't ever experience that glory, that greatness. There's a spirit today that wants people to get focused on blaming someone else. The other version of that spirit is one you're going to recognize even more quickly. It's a spirit today of a victim mentality. The victim mentality looks at life and all that has happened and sees everything happens to me. You get focused all of a sudden on the me and the to me. They did this to me. This happened to me. My boss said this to me. And you become obsessed with to me. Because if you get focused on yourself, you'll start seeing everything as a threat, as a hurt, and as a negative that's against you. The danger in that is all of a sudden you make yourself somehow this righteous, innocent person who didn't deserve any of this to happen to me. And it's real easy all of a sudden to elevate their fault and your innocence. It's real easy all of a sudden to then justify anything you want to do because of what they did to you. Hello. So we got people losing their ever-loving minds in the streets today because of things they say happened to them or that someone told them happened to them. And the victim mentality says... I deserve some sympathy for all that's happened to me. And I justify my bad behavior because of what happened to me. I can say what I want, do what I want, have any attitude I want because of what happened to me. Because I'm justifying my attitude because of their offense. Think about victim mentality. It... It only sees retaliation as the only hope. There's no sense of seeing where God's calling me to forgive. God's calling me to love. God's calling me to show mercy because he showed mercy to me. Instead, retaliation is the only way. And they see themselves as the innocent party. It's incredibly dangerous, of course, in our culture. If you're watching what's happening in the world today, you see the increased anger, the resentment, the bitterness, the refusal to accept any responsibility. You see the increase in crime, the increase in hate, and the decrease of accepting any responsibility for doing wrong. This is the danger of a victim mentality. One of the areas today in our culture where it has taken on an even exponential danger is in a theory that is being taught in our schools and in a theory, a principle, a way of life that is being taught in social structures, higher education, and is being carried out in many court systems today. It's called the critical race theory. This theory sets one man against another 
because of its differences, because of its, the difference in race, because of a difference in economic standards, because of a difference in approach to life and the more injustices that the person feels that they have, well, I've been treated this way because I'm not of the same economic status. I'm treated this way because I've chosen a, gen, a separate gender status. I'm, I'm facing oppression today because of my race. Do you know that today, the more of those that you can claim, the more of those oppression titles that you can claim, the more favor you get today? Have you noticed that? So if you claim to be a poor transgender minor, you get all kind of exceptions today. You get all kind of preferential treatment today because the world is playing up the victim status. This theory makes the oppressor, those who haven't had any hurts in their life or oppression statuses. If you don't have an oppressive status that you can claim today, you're the oppressor. And you are the one being targeted because you are the one who causes the problem. This is the world's version of dealing with their sin. They say, I don't have any sin. And if I did, it would be because you made me have it, because you oppressed me. You did wrong to me. I'm right in doing whatever I choose to do. I can choose my gender because I was oppressed by my parents. I can choose my actions because I was oppressed by this cultural group. I can do whatever I want in justifying my bad behavior, my bad attitudes and bad actions because I have been a victim. You recognize that in the culture, right? It's a dangerous thought. It is warping our culture at a speed faster than what you and I perhaps even realize. There's another practice and theory in place today in court systems called restorative justice. This approach no longer views an offense based on law. This new view takes whatever violation has happened and then considers your oppressive status and determines what kind of consequences you should have based on your social oppression. When you do that, you remove truth, you remove law, you remove rightness, and you insert people's feelings. This corrupts a culture. This is happening in school systems across our land today. Let me find my term that they use for that. Restorative discipline. Two students have a problem called into the principal's office. Both need to serve discipline for what they did. But depending upon all of the oppressive factors involved in it, one may receive less consequences than the other. Truth is no longer the foundation. Feelings become now the foundation. It's incredibly dangerous in the culture. 
And it's dangerous when it creeps into our lives as well. Whenever for some reason you feel like you can justify whatever you've done because you have been unfairly hurt, you are putting yourself on the throne instead of God's word on the throne. This is exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. The serpent came along and said, you poor thing. Don't you know God is oppressing you? He's withholding from you. You deserve more. You know you should go ahead and take of that fruit. If you do, your eyes would be opened. You would see all that is right and wrong. Go ahead. He's being so unfair to you. That deception worked in the garden. It's working in our culture. And God help us if we let it work in us. We must be a people who say, I will not live my life by my feelings. I will not drive my faith by the hurts that have happened to me. I will let what God says drive everything about me. And when I have sinned, I will own my sin. I will not blame my husband for my attitudes. I will not blame my wife for my attitudes or my actions. I will not blame that person on the highway, that person that hurt me. I will not blame them and justify myself. I will accept responsibility for my sin and let God take care of them. This is maturity. Adulting. You own your sin. You don't blame. You don't stomp your foot. You don't pitch fits. You don't attempt to justify yourself. You don't make excuses. You own it. And you get away from any badge that somebody wants to put on you that labels you victim. Number two, if you want to adult and be a spiritual adult, own God's grace. Jesus died on the cross for you. That's not a, just a plural you. It's a very specific you. He rose again from the dead, ascended to the Father where he is praying for you specifically. His grace comes as a gift for you. But here's what immaturity does. It's okay, God. I don't need that. I got this. I got it. I can work it out. I, I, can, I can make my life work. I don't, I don't have time for all that, God. I, I don't have, I don't have, I'm too busy, God. I got too much going on, God. I, I really, I can work it all out. I can, I can prove that I'm good enough. I can prove that I can work off the things that I've done. God, I, I, I got it. I got it. No, you don't. You need God's grace in your life. You need it. You can't breathe without it. God's grace 
is his favor toward me. It's not just him saying, oh, you messed up again. Oh, that's all right. Come on. No. Here's grace. You had flat sinned in the face of God and were deserving of death and judgment. And God in his mercy and grace sent his son who took your sin on the cross. He bore the ugly cost of it, rose again so that you, when you receive that, when you receive that grace, he declares you forgiven. He declares you blameless. He declares you his own. And he calls you loved and righteous. I can't get there on my own. Maturity says, God, I have sinned. And God, I receive your grace for my sin. I didn't deserve it. But where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And you walk up into it and you receive it. Those are those who are spiritually mature. If you're still trying to prove you can work it out, if you're still trying to prove that you can be good enough, if you're still somehow saying, I can do this. Here's one of the ways it shows up sometimes. You have a bad week where things just didn't go at all like you thought. You ended up having some attitudes and saying some things and doing some things that you really knew you shouldn't have done and Saturday's approaching. And you say, well, when I get my act together... I'll go back to church. Look, that is immaturity. Maturity steps up and says, I didn't come to the Lord by being perfect. I don't stay with him by being perfect. I came by grace and I stay by grace. And so now I'm going to go when I've had a bad week because that's when I need to be there. I need to worship him. I need to be around some other believers. I need to be around some folks who encourage me. I need to be around some folks that I can have as icons and models in my life to help me grow. i got to get past all this. Maturity owns God's grace. Maturity owns it, takes possession of it, and says, this was for me. I needed it in my life, and I still need it in my life. I have to have it. This is maturity. And this kind of grace, it'll humble you. This kind of grace begins to be how you walk in life. This kind of grace will take you down the path of spiritual maturity. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. You accepted it. You owned it. Number three you're going to be a spiritual adult and you're going to do some spiritual adulting, you must own the work of faith. So God pours out his grace to us. <clears throat> then he calls us to receive it by faith, not works. Don't try to earn it. Don't try to prove it. Don't try to justify it. Just accept it by faith. But that faith 
takes work. Hello? It's, it's hard when you have blown it for the two millionth time to say, God, again, I receive your forgiveness and grace for what I said and did. That is hard. To believe by faith, he loves me, has called me, accepts me, and calls me his own, and calls me holy, that takes work. That's faith. And we're called to grow up into all of that. To trust God in what he says and not what we feel, that takes work. And there are people that you know, there are people in this church who have walked that walk out. They're 30, 40 years into this walk. They would never say they're perfect, but they say, God has shown me some things along the way. I've learned some things. I've fallen, but he picked me up. I blew it, but he cleaned me up. I was a child, but he grew me up, and he's still doing it in me. The the reason God has put together the church the way he has with people who are older and younger, people who are spiritually older and spiritually younger, is that the younger need to turn to the older and see what God has done in them and learn from them. You run to those people. You make yourself a, a disciple of their life. You watch them. You do what they do. You go where they go. You say what they say, not just to copy, but to learn from them. And here's what you don't do. You don't look at those who have 30, 40, 50 years down the road in faith and say, well, how come God hadn't blessed me like that? I wish I had all of that. I don't know what they know. That's just not fair. They have more blessings in their life, and I don't. How come I don't get those blessings? Uh, that is the baby whining sound of entitlement. Hello? It's this idea that says, because I exist, I ought to have. Uh oh. You see, we got grandbabies in our family. How many do we have under four? We have six under four. How many more coming? Three more coming. When we all get together, there's a lot happening. And there's a, there's a lot of happy giggles and delightful sounds. But every once in a while, there's the sound of, ah, he took my toy. All that starts up, you know? It's the sound of immaturity. It's a, it's a sign that growth still needs to happen. You don't want your adult children to still act like their three-year-old version of themselves. Amen? But that has to be trained. That has to be taught. That has to be developed. Maturity looks at those who have and says, I want to learn what they have. I want to do the work 
to get what they've got. You don't just get closeness with God on an experiential basis. You don't just develop self-control over some temptations and desires overnight. You don't just develop the ability to stay in a storm and keep walking through it even when it's long and it's dark and it's difficult and the winds are blowing, you don't get the patience to walk through that just overnight. You get that by walking through the storms with Jesus. You get there over time. You get there because of a storm and then another storm and then a hurricane and then a tornado and then an earthquake All that stuff happens in your life and you just keep on walking with Christ through the midst of it. And he does something in you in that. And so those that are still young in the faith, find those people who've weathered a storm and learn from them. Do the work of faith. It is work. There's a problem in our culture today that wants to get without work. That wants to receive benefit without having done any labor. When you hand out stimulus without work, you're going to end up with a generation that's lazy, dependent, and broke. I'm okay with helping people in need, but I'm not okay with just handing out stuff to people who are intentionally resisting and believing they ought to have what everybody else has in equality and have no interest in doing any work. Hello? That's not just a cultural, political statement. That is a biblical statement. If a man will not work, neither let him eat. That's scripture. Amen? Demanding is what children do. Entitlement is what children think. And if you want to you break past that in your own life, you've got to know blessings come with the work of faith. And if your faith doesn't have any effort to it, if your faith doesn't have any work to it, that work, that faith, I mean, is dead. If you don't have some struggle in your faith, if you don't have some, man, this is hard, in your faith, it's dead. Because faith walks through those things. Faith refuses to be spiritually lazy. Faith refuses to believe and think like an entitled person. Faith refuses to expect to be served, but instead seeks to serve. Faith isn't based on my feelings. Faith is based on the unchanging word of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing And hearing by the word of God. It comes in time. And you just keep walking. You keep trusting. You keep believing. 
own that. Own the work. Own the responsibilities. There are blessings waiting out there that are yours. They've been secured for you. But you'll never get them if you're not willing to do the work of faith. Our last one today is own maturity. Own that. Own it as something you desire. Own it as something you pursue. Those who successfully move from spiritual childhood to spiritual adulthood are those who say, I'm tired of being a child. I'm tired of depending upon everybody else for my spiritual feeding. I'm tired of not having all the riches that are mine in Jesus Christ. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I started spiritual adulting, in other words, when I became a man, an adult, I put away childish things. This is what maturity does. Maturity says, you know what? I'm entering into a new phase of my life, and there's some things i got to leave behind. Bye-bye, bicycle from 10-year-old self. Bye-bye, game system that keeps me distracted and from doing what I ought to be doing. Goodbye, whatever else keeps you from owning the responsibility for your faith, whatever it is. Goodbye, distractions. Goodbye, attitudes of selfishness. Goodbye, all the things that have kept me a child. I'm done with that. I'm going to own maturity now. I refuse to be a child any longer, like Paul said. There was a day I was, but now I'm not. I'm praying that through this series that we step up to new levels of spiritual adulting where we accept responsibility for our faith as primary. Hello, primary. I'm not asking you to move up spiritual adulting to the next slot on your list of priorities. I'm asking you to do what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's first. I'm not asking you to slightly adjust your life. I'm calling you to radical obedience that says, God, you are first. You're first above my work. You're first above my family. You're first above my entertainment. You are first. Nothing else stands in the way. So with that, I'd like to issue a challenge today for the remainder of this series. The world would say today that it takes... um, Let me refine my number here that it takes 21 days to form a new habit. At least 21 days. Some new research says it's actually a lot higher than that, and the average works out to about 65, 66 days for you to get to a habit that you actually just naturally do. Where you don't have to keep telling yourself, okay, it's time to get up and exercise. 
You know, you don't have to keep telling yourself that. Okay, it's time to read the Bible. You don't have to keep telling. You just start doing it because it's part of you. It's part of a natural routine. It's part of something you actually look forward to. So here's the challenge. For the next 60 days, I would ask you to assume a role of spiritual adult. Every day, at some point in your day, crack open your Bible. You read where you want to. If you're working on a process or a chapter or a verse already, fine. But open God's word, put yourself in front of it, and say, I'm going to read until I hear God speak. It might be one verse. It might be one chapter. It might be a whole book. You do what you need to do. But look for God. Seek for him. When you find him, stop. And then... Now, go live that out. For the next 60 days, you pick the time. Morning, noon, night. I'm convinced if we, as a church, choose to be spiritual adults, we will experience something greater than we could ever imagine, ask, or think. Because he will show himself. He will reveal himself. If this is already a practice of yours, Blessings upon you. You already know there's blessings upon it and you. Amen. You keep doing that. There might be people who come to you to say, help me know how to do that. But this is going to be our challenge for this series, two months, 60 days. Seek God. If you miss a day, hello, let's go back to the principles. Own your sin. Own grace. Own faith. On maturity, back on it the next day. Hello? Let's do this. Let's grow up in what God has for us. This is time for us as the church to be the icons of what it looks like in the world today. To own it. Let's own it. Let's own our sin. Let's own the reality of grace for us. Let's grow up. And let's be those who begin to be the influencers and the teachers and leaders in our day. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, today, I thank you for your word that is powerful. It is alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing right now to the depths of our soul. It's separating out what is from you and what is from us. And I pray we would choose what you are saying to us. Let us set aside our feelings. Let us set aside our immaturity. And let us choose to walk as mature believers in you. May we grow up in this. May we be changed by it. May you become the first place passion in our life. May we reject any spirit that comes from the world today that seeks to divide, distract, and destroy your work in our life. We own faith today in you. We are grateful for it because before we ever owned it, you owned us. And for that, we are grateful. God, change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning?